0: Starting, scaling, and exiting a business is hard. So, why do some companies achieve seven, eight, and nine figure figure Uh, exits while others struggle to reach six figures? To answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited for more than $10 million or currently run $10 million uh, plus businesses and grill them until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond Eight Figures. We love her for it, and we miss her, and we will see her. Soon enough, Wade's got it under control in the studio, so to speak, and uh, shaking his head, kind of thinking, maybe under control, sort of, kind of. And, uh, of course, R. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. And here on Beyond Eight Figures, we do sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually. And we get to the bottom of exactly how they got to where they are. And in some cases, the stories are exactly as you'd expect them to be, but in most cases, they are absolutely not at all as you would expect them to be, and that's the beautiful thing about the entrepreneurial journey is it never seems to really start uh, in the exact same space, and it certainly never seems to end in the exact same place either, so super excited today, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're wrapping up the calendar year here, and you know we all try to have our goals and our objectives that we want to, to bring to fruition uh, in that year. And one of my goals was to launch a new show this year. And, uh, and so this is it. So we launched Beyond Eight Figures in, uh, in 2018. And we have really had just uh, an amazing group of, of guests on, from, from billionaires to people who have exited for billions of dollars to people who currently run businesses that generate you know, hundreds of millions of dollars annually and uh, and others who have uh, exited for just uh, just north of 10 million and so on and so forth and everything in between. So it's really been an interesting really been an interesting go here to to learn from so many amazing different people in so many different industries from from what you might call a glamour type industry to people making millions selling printer toner, right? Like you just yeah, you amazing. just never know. So if you haven't listened to any of the past episodes, please make sure that you do check them out. Uh, A couple of particular good ones to listen to if you haven't listened to our episode with uh, billionaire Naveen Jain. That one got a little heated. That one got a little bit interesting. That's definitely worth a listen. Uh, I also recommend the episode uh, with Chip Conley, the uh, gentleman who started uh, Jour de Vie, the uh, hotel chain, and then has become the right-hand person to Airbnb and really helping guide them through their astronomic growth uh, and others as well. Now, today's guest is uh, someone that i've actually known for well quite quite a number of years i just we haven't really had a chance though to go super deep uh in terms of exactly how our guest uh has realized the the success that she has and so let let me do this And, and it's really really awesome uh to have lee richter joining us and lee is actually joining us While vacationing in Hawaii. So thank you for that, Lee. How are you? Aloha.
1: I'm doing great. And thank you for the invitation. I love joining you.
0: (laughs) Well, it's awesome having you here. And honestly, just knowing uh, how many different things you've got going on and knowing the fact that you're on vacation to boot. I mean, for you to carve out the time to be with us here today is just really, really appreciated. So thank you for that. So, Lee Richter, let, let me just get this out of the way. And if you listen to the show, you know we like to get deep into the the tools and the strategies and the shortcuts and the tactics and everything else that you leverage to to build your businesses and exit from your businesses and so on. So, uh, you, you also know that we like to get into the nuts and bolts of how you've done that. And you also know that we like to gain clarification on exactly how you meet the criteria for the show. So, have you exited from a business or multiple businesses for more than $10 million or do you currently run a business that grosses more than $10 million annually or both?
1: It's actually both. It is and both. And I had an exit of one business that I bought 16 years ago and 10 x it and uh, that was in May. So oh, wow, um, that was my third exit of my uh, first one, more than eight figures.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So, Let's run through uh, and just, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me to watch the entrepreneurial journey of those who have reached these sort of stratospheric heights. And no matter how you slice it, exiting a business for more than $10 million, I mean, is no small feat. And as you said, you've exited from three businesses. The last one was the first one that you were able to reach eight figures. Uh, just briefly, what were the first two exits? Uh, what were the businesses? And if you're able to share the exit amount, what were those? That
1: is such a great question. I haven't talked about that in a while. The first one was, I was working at Merrill Lynch as a stockbroker from 1984 to uh, 1998, so I was with them for 14 years, wow. but I took a year sabbatical. I made a lot of money in the market one year, and I decided to take a year sabbatical. I'd been training a lot of people on the floor, and, and I just decided to take that time, and I went to Key West, Florida, and Goldie Hawn was filming a movie there called Crisscross. Cross, And it happened to be in the hotel that I was staying in. And I got to know them over the uh, couple weeks that I was there. And I asked the owner of the hotel, what's he doing with the restaurant after the the movie? And he said he didn't have any plans. So I bought that business. And for the following year, during my sabbatical, I actually ran a business in Key West because I thought it would be fun to know what it's like to have a restaurant, because I always love to entertain and have guests. And Mm. uh, so I bought that business and I had it for a year and a year later I sold it to my chef. I had an incredible chef, and he took it and ran with it after me. And uh, that one, you know what? Back then, it was only about $100,000 to buy it. And I think I just made it almost to seven figures. I think we were just under around 980 when I sold it. But I added a lot of value because Hollywood was there. And mm-hmm. because I love marketing, I created a whole marketing campaign around, now Hollywood is gone, we're inviting you. And then literally we had lines hour-to-hour long to get in to have uh, some of our specialty items that we were cooking. Hmm. Um, And basically I made friends with a lot of the concierges at the hotels and I would invite them to, you know, dinner with the owner. And then they would send me a whole bunch of referrals and we created a a really good thing there. I really enjoyed it. And it was a great learning lesson about how hard it is to run a restaurant because it really is 24 seven. But it was
0: fun. Let me just ask you this. So in in terms of how you structured the deal and I would venture to guess that didn't include the real estate, right? I mean, you you weren't buying a restaurant in Key West for hundred grand, were you?
1: No, no, no. I just bought the business. Yeah, okay. Uh, But what happened was I created an entire way for people from Miami that bust in tourists to have our place as their lunch and dinner spot. So literally, we were sold out months in advance. So I just created um, a way. People wanted to come because, uh, you know, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn were there, and Mm -hmm. they thought that, you know, they wanted to see it and be part of it. And we had pictures up and, uh, you know, different celebrities would come through and we'd play on that and we'd get a lot of media coverage. And I think during that one year that we were there, we won more than 20 different awards in uh, the food and beverage industry. So, so it was really nice. I expanded it and had a home delivery program set up. I had, uh, the regular, um, income streams from, from the tourists coming in. And then we had the locals that were literally standing in line to come in. So, So we, we duplicated. We also created items that we sold to other restaurants. So hmm. like homemade pastas, things that didn't exist before, you know, during mm-hmm. that time, we mm-hmm. we started it from scratch and really built it into a little empire.
0: Well, and I'm sure looking back, you probably could have, you know, juiced even more out of that stone had you been as smart as you are. I mean, because obviously you've been doing this now for so long. I'm sure looking back, there was probably even a bigger opportunity that you missed out on, but obviously a good opportunity nonetheless. We'll perhaps circle back to that, but what was the second business that you exited from?
1: The second business is I had a PR marketing company, which I still have one here in California. Well, in California where I live, um, but I started it in Florida. I was at the University of Florida. My husband was going through veterinary school, so I went back and got a degree in journalism and PR and marketing. And while I was there, I started a, an agency, and the agency just blew up. Uh, we helped a lot of professors and different business owners in the Florida area, and then it expanded past that. So mm-hmm. um, I had partners on that. And what I do is I sold it to my partners when I left and then started a new PR and marketing agency on my own in San Francisco when I landed there in 1998.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was the approximate exit on that for you personally, that second one?
1: Uh, that one was over a five-year period because I still had to mentor them and be part of it. And it was I think it was just around $3 million when it was all said and done over that five years. Mm-hmm. So it and- went from nothing, just an idea, into you know, creating something of value, but also teaching the next generations. We would hire a lot of people from University of Florida in the master's degree programs and give them a position to land right after school and then train them and then launch them into other careers.
0: Yeah, and perhaps we'll, we'll circle back on that one as well. But the the most recent exit is the one that exceeded eight figures. What what was that business?
1: That one, because my husband is a veterinarian. When we got to California, I was still in the PR marketing world. I, my biggest client was Merrill Lynch. I had Bank of America, Stanford Research Institute, Autodesk. I was working on all these technology and customer facing businesses. And my husband was a vet, is a veterinarian, and he was working emergency. And um basically it, about three years after we moved here, I was in a to California I was in a near fatal car accident, hit head on and mm. um, only had a seven percent chance to live after Jeez. breaking fifteen bones and he nursed me back to health. It was almost a year before I could walk again. but while I was in the hospital about month four or five, I realized I was the big money earner, and he mm. was the veterinarian contributing all of his skill and life you know life force as a you know, contribution to the community, as it were. I think he was making about $70,000 a year working 14-hour shifts as a veterinarian. Wow. And yeah. while I was in the hospital and we were going through our life savings and things to, you know, take care of me and, and make ends meet because the Bay Area is expensive,
2: yeah.
1: uh, I made a comment to him that the only way that he's going to get ahead as a veterinarian and the only way that he's going to be able to practice medicine the way he wants is to have his own practice. And he mentioned to me, I never want to manage people. I just want to be a veterinarian. And, about, and then he also mentioned doing emergency, there was only about three practices in the whole Bay Area he would even want because he could see inside how they do things, and there were three in complete alignment with him. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward a few months on 9-11, uh, one of those veterinarians who owned a practice was in Australia, one of the practices Gary would want. Uh, he was in Australia, and he got stuck there, and he couldn't get home for a few weeks. And while he was there, he decided he wanted to stay. So when he came home, he put his practice up for sale, there were more than twenty veterinarians from around the country that bid on it, and um, my husband and I were at the Olympics in um Salt Lake City, and I said, "You know what? I think we should bid on that practice and we did we ended up getting it, he referred to my husband as the chosen one mm-hmm. and um I helped him build that empire, so we bought it for nine hundred and sixty five thousand and we sold it for just north of ten million plus um Another two and a half million in stock in the new company, which is a four hundred million dollar company. So yeah. I think the second bite of the apple is going to be even better than the first, uh, but that's just going to take a few years to realize.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. So if you guys aren't familiar, we have another different. We have another show called Reinvention Radio, um, and we, we actually just had uh, a guest come in studio to join us, Kelly Bagla, and we were talking about reinventing business legal life cycles, and she was saying, well, the fourth part of that business life cycle process there of course is the exit and she was saying that she instructs all of her clients when they exit from a business to retain a piece of that business whether it's in the new entity or in the old entity whatever it is but to retain a piece you know just something no matter how big or how small what depending on what you can negotiate and so that's really interesting so you're that's it sounds like something that something that's you can that you can do as well
1: Absolutely. The buyer of our practice, actually, I have known for 16 years and on our pathway, um, he had two practices and I had one and then launched a second one in the veterinary industry. And on that pathway, I came across the book Traction. I know Gina Wickman. He's in one of my mastermind groups. Mm -hmm. And in that book Traction, the buyer of our practice, his name is Sean. I had Sean read it and I read it. And when he read it, he took his two practices to now 200. When I read it, my husband said, no, I just want to be a small neighborhood practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, did that make me so mad because I wanted to build that empire. Mm-hmm. So my way of actually being part of the empire I wanted to build was joining in Sean in uh, what they're doing right now. And like I said, they're on such a beautiful path that, that you're right. The Being part of it for their future is, is a really big piece of um, us. Elevating the the success of the mm-hmm.
0: practice for ourselves. How, let me ask you this, Lee. So, how do you value? So, like from a valuation perspective, how do you value a veterinary business? Like, is it based on EBITDA? Is it based on on a multiple of, of revenue? Is it based on the number of clients that you've that you've previously served between the practices? Is it? Is it? You know, I, I don't know. How do you how do you value a, a veterinary business? Like like ahead, what Richie. was
2: it making when you paid nine hundred and some thousand? Oh,
0: there you go. Yeah, started the. Well, interestingly really
2: enough.
1: That is such a great question because 16 years ago when I paid 965000 it was a one-to-one. Whatever the income was last year is how much you paid. That okay. was the factor back then. Okay. Now it's a multiple of EBITDA. And in the veterinary industry, uh, it's usually a five-factor, but right now they're in a consolidation phase. We're in about the second of three years of consolidation. And since I know the industry and I watch the industry, I saw it hit this the beginning of the consolidation phase. And then I worked with some mentors in the dental industry and watched them go through it before me. Mm-hmm. And then I followed their methods and put it in mine. And um, so now you can get a little higher EBITDA than the regular five factor, but that's probably coming to an end in about 12 months and it'll go back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to work very hard for that because there are a lot of hidden expenses in the veterinary hospital um, with costs and workers comp and dog bites and clients don't really realize like, we're basically veterinarians are getting paid almost 10 to 20 cents on the dollar versus medical doctors because insurance companies are not involved mm-hmm. however the veterinarian's doing the same exact job mm-hmm. like when they're doing a a delivery or a c-section or any of that it's the same procedure it's the yeah. same anesthesia and um, so they're really getting a bargain when they go to the veterinary practice because those guys are incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes clients come in and don't realize they're talking to someone with 10 years of advanced college and absolutely brilliant people. They had to be the top of their class to be in there. And sometimes the clients come in and treat them like the dry cleaners. And I want to shake them and say, no, be grateful for this person who's so dedicated to the health of your pet, because they're such high SC on the disc profile. Mm -hmm. They're such nurturers and they're not paying attention to their paycheck. I mean, they need to have enough to live, but they've, In the 16 years I was there, I never had a doctor come to me and say, how did you calculate my paycheck? Mm -hmm. Because that's not their priority. But the priority is make sure I have the team in place tomorrow to do that surgery. Or can I come in on my day off to do that extra surgery? Like, they're such dedicated individuals. It's a a really brilliant and difficult industry to be in at the same time.
2: Well, to your point, it's not just you know, a human is a human. So that doctor has one species The the vet has to know how to do those same procedures on multiple species, <laughs> right? Like
1: and demystify it. Cause they can't say, Hey, does your left foot hurt? And right. the dog say, yes, no, wow. they have to like, literally it's a mystery in the beginning. They have to go in and solve the mystery in many ways. They call it practicing medicine for a reason. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way.
0: Let me ask you this then. So just so we can close the loop on the, on the metric side of the equation here. So if we were a 1 to 1 when you took over and we were at a million bucks on that practice, what do you do you generally remember what the revenue was, top line revenue was uh, before the exit?
1: Um this one I what it was back then or uh,
0: now? Now, sorry, at the at the oh, end of the year.
1: Um we were just just over 6 million.
0: Just over 6. Okay. So yeah. so when you come right down to it, I mean, still only about one point four, one point five in terms of a multiple of of revenue. And realistically, it's kind of on the lower end of the of the spectrum. Do you ever look back and you think maybe those efforts would have been better suited? Uh, because, I mean, you're an extremely talented woman. So you put a lot of time and energy and resources and whatnot into this. And, you know, 1.4, 1.5 on revenue, 1.6, whatever it works out to be there. I mean, it's it's decent, but there are industries that that have much, much, much higher multiples. Did you ever pause at any point here during this during this period of time and say my efforts would have been better suited elsewhere?
1: Well, it's it, it's good that you asked that question because I actually have seven companies and a nonprofit, mm. and part of the reason those other companies were brought to life is to cover that exact reasoning. Mm -hmm. Now, my husband's a veterinarian. He's seeing clients all day long, and that's all he wants to do. He really just wants to be a doctor. But then they cannot do affiliate relationships for any referrals or anything. So I opened a separate company. It's called the Pet Concierge. I'm 100% owner on that. He is not. And so in that one, I could do affiliates, and I could do JVs. In that, I could do a lot more than I can in the veterinary practice, and I have a higher multiple, and it's growing faster. Mm-hmm. So I did take it. It spawned a business that I, because we're in the Internet marketing world, I wanted to do inside the vet hospital. It's just prohibitive. I mean, you can do it. You just have to do it 100% on your own. And, you know, working with JVs and affiliates makes it launch so much better. So yeah. um, it can anyway. Well, it's um, brilliant so that's because –
2: that's a feeder for all the other, like you're probably thinking of other businesses. You, you got a pet concierge. Oh, and by the way, if any animal gets sick, where are you going to send them, right? Mm-hmm. And then so you can have all kinds of relationships with that. That's that's awesome. What uh, I also
1: launched another business called Holistic Vet Care. HolisticVetCare.com is the online version, but we see people, it's actually a global business, whereas the general practice was really a neighborhood within a 15 mile radius business. So, so because of the general practice, other ideas have been launched. And I have a couple S corps and C corps that are launched exactly to support that industry. Um, but not specifically that first bed hospital.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. So to go from 1 million to 6 million in top line revenue, I mean, that, that's a pretty huge jump. What, and I want to just take two steps back here as well. Um, let, let's start with the acquisition, and then I want to talk about the growth. So, and, and then we can get into what you're doing here currently as well. But I, I want to take a step back. The 900 odd k that you had to invest to acquire the business how how did you finance that? Did you did you put together a group? Was that just a cash payment because you had exited from the other two businesses first? What how did you structure that acquisition?
1: I went to a veterinary conference where there's 17,000 attendees and 4,000 vendors, Mm. and in there are practice um, solutions. Like there's different vendors that do the financing. So I interviewed them, saw which one was the best fit, and I had basically three of them compete for my business. I actually took a million-dollar loan so that I have a little bit of working capital in the beginning. And um, from that, I had, I think it was about a a $13,000-a-month payment for 10 years. And basically I would actually pay extra on that each month to just reduce the principal as quickly as possible. So I got it paid off sooner than 10 years. And then I considered myself, you know, getting a $13,000 a month raise at that point. Mm -hmm. But I then turned around and did a remodel invested back in that and up leveled the company. So Mm -hmm. I went from, so when I first took over, we had 35,000, current clients when I sold it we had 25,000 current clients wow. when I took it over we had three exam rooms and two doctors when I sold it we had ten exam rooms we did a about a seven hundred thousand dollar remodel and added doubled the space and and really made it an up-to-date facility hmm. and then um, when, when I left I guess there were about four and a half doctors plus my husband so five and a half and he's still there one day a week he goes in one day a week and he still has continuity with the team and and a client base over there but mostly he's at his holistic vet care and originally we thought we were going to sell them both practices but what I realized is where my husband is going in the future he really needed holistic vet care to be his home base to do that so we ended up keeping that practice and that is blossoming more than I ever imagined it's already in the seven figures and um, it's a it's a very different business model though because in a general practice a doctor sees a client uh, maybe fifteen or twenty minutes whereas in a holistic practice they literally spend an hour with the client wow. so yeah. so it's very very much a, a business relationship and a medical relationship at the mm-hmm. same time
0: mm-hmm. so what what are the some of the key things that, I mean obviously you expanded right and that in and of itself gives you the opportunity to massively increase top line revenue I mean you just have the ability to see more patients, right? I mean, it's just a numbers game Absolutely. at that point. But at the same token, being able to massively increase the number of clients is a whole, just because you expand your facility doesn't mean that you're going to expand in a commensurate manner, the, the total number of clients that that come into that facility. So, what, and you're, you're really a genius when it comes to PR and marketing. And I know this is really, you know, part of your, your strong suit, your superpower, whatever you want to call it there. What, what were some of the things that you did to, to 5X, 6X that business? Again, you've increased the facility, so you've increased the capacity, but that doesn't necessarily translate to more people coming in. So what were some of the things that you did from a marketing perspective or from a PR perspective to bring more attention to the practice and to get more people to, to come in and bring their animals?
1: So I created a marketing team inside the organization. So my PR marketing company, I had a team specifically on the veterinary hospitals and in the veterinary industry. And one of the key moments was 2007, eight, nine, when we were having a crash around us, especially in Silicon Valley, our business was thriving more than others. And even our you know, our vendors that go to many, many hospitals, like uh, the drug reps and the cardiologists and radiologists that go to multiple hospitals, some of them go to up to 100 hospitals, they would come in and they'd be like, your business is so busy and all these other ones are like hollowed halls. What are you doing? And I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what I'm doing is I'm consistently connecting with the community on a regular basis. So starting in 2001, I started doing marketing plans and saying, OK, we're going to have our nonprofit do this, and we're going to meet with the community here. We're going to apply for awards here. We're going to write a book and publish it. Like all these different things. We had 13 different tactics. Um, marketing is the umbrella, but then public relations, networking, event planning, all of those are different tactics. Mm-hmm. So we had 13 tactics, and what I would do and what I still continue to do, 13 tactics is beautiful because it works into 13 weeks for each Quarter. So each quarter, each week, we pick one and we dive deep. And that whole
0: week. And I just want to gloss over this because I mean that's just absolute genius. Can you run? what So what are those thirteen things? I'm not sure that you listed those. And I know uh, I won't list that- them
1: all because I, I it's it's actually on a vision board that I did at my office years ago. I got you. But I some of you. the tactics. Yeah. There's many tactics. One would be public relations, getting articles, getting on the news. Like my husband was just on the doctor's TV show. Um, getting him on CBS, NBC, like whatever, whatever place that he could be and um, and share our story and our brand is public relations. Right. So I'd say he's been published more than 100 places in just even the last couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: one is public relations. One and, is event and just, planning.
0: And hold on. I just want to slow down there for one okay. second. So is the, the method behind the madness is in terms of P.R., because you don't see a lot of veterinarians doing this, right? So, is the idea there to really establish credibility and, and authority? But of course, the byproduct of that is is visibility. But is there is is the thinking like, hey, let's let's really put your husband head and shoulders above the other vets because he'll be seen then as the as the expert, so to speak, in in that niche. Was so that is that the thinking behind it?
1: 100 yeah. um, percent. About four years ago, the American Veterinary Medical Foundation um, had veterinarians nominate their peers for who's America's favorite veterinarian. Right. And my husband made it in the shortlist in the top 10. Wow. And then when they did the top 10, they made it open to the public. But the American Veterinary Medical Foundation literally had a 20 page application that they had to fill out on all the reasons he should be in that shortlist. And when he filled it out, One of the things we realized at that point is he had won about 40 awards in the 10 years that he was there. He's now won more than 50 awards since then. Mm -hmm. But um, because of those awards, it established him in so many ways. And some were national awards. One or two were international awards. So what happened was each of those little things we were doing consistently were starting to create an entire profile for him Mm -hmm. and he was elevating so he did win america's favorite veterinarian and then hay house came and said will you do a series of books for us when hay house did the first book and we launched it on the cover is america's favorite veterinarian dr gary richter and then that got him on um the doctor's tv show got him on all these tv shows so each little thing starts with an idea and the first thing is we got awards in our local community, which in the Bay Area is 6 million people. In the city of Oakland is 500,000 people. And he won a Pillar Award, which they only give one a year. And that Pillar Award then put him front and center as, like, the best contributor in Oakland for that year. He was highlighted. He was invited to all these different meetings. So each one built on the next one. And the next one he won Best Veterinarian in Cal in Bay Area, then California, then in America. So he's, he's just... Um, but he is a fantastic vet. Like, the thing is, you can drive people to the idea, but unless it, you can execute on it, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. The thing is, he is an amazing veterinarian. He does things differently than a lot of veterinarians because he integrates Eastern and Western. Yeah. And most veterinarians go to veterinary school and learn one way, where he's learned multiple ways and he integrates it. So mm-hmm. I will tell you, the way I knew he was very successful is in 2007, 8, 9, I started seeing a lot of other veterinarians. And I started seeing that drug rep and the cardiologists and radiologists bringing their own pets to him.
2: Oh, wow. And then I'm like, yeah. wow,
1: they could go anywhere, and they're picking him. Mm-hmm. That, that really spoke volumes to me. And part of it is because he has a different approach. And when other doctors would run out of ideas, he would have additional ideas so,
0: to let me, try. And let me just say this, and I know it's a little bit of cart and horse here, but would you would you suggest that all entrepreneurs, in whatever way they can, should submit for awards in their own particular industry because then you can use that as a PR campaign if they you know if they win that award and then of course the PR campaign brings more visibility which probably brings more awards right so it's a little bit of this you absolutely know, this, this ascending spiral so to speak
1: and there's a few ways to do that and by the way when I coach people and I teach them how to like be a CEO of their own company I'm working with two professors at Stanford right now they're mm-hmm. PhD professors they're amazing And they're coming to me saying, teach me how to be a CEO because I know how to be a professor in the front of the room and I don't know how to run my business. And one of the things I teach them that is let's look for some ways that you can get some awards. Garner some awards so it establishes you as the expert in your piece of the industry. Mm -hmm. I've won top 100 women business leaders in the Bay Area from the San Francisco Business Times for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. You only win if you apply. Your accountant actually has to send in the numbers. So it's a validated. It's not a vote for Mm -hmm. popularity. But when you're on that list. When we go in that meeting of the top 100 women business leaders in the Bay Area, it's actually in all of the Bay Area. That's a 60-mile radius, 6 million people. When we go in that meeting, they say, you're the top 1% leaders, women yeah. leaders on the planet. And the reason I went to that is because I watched Laurel Langmyer get that award. And I'm like, well, if she got it, I could get it. She <laughs> inspired me. And so yeah. – that's the thing is you know, when you work with other people and watch what they're doing, then you'll get some ideas from them. Mm-hmm. I could have won that award three years earlier than I did. I didn't even know about it until I saw her get it. So yeah. um, I think be curious. Watch what other people are doing. Look at their profiles. When they say that they won an award, go look and see. Do you qualify? I mean, I'm looking at Inc. 500 lists, and I know I've qualified for years. and I haven't had the time to apply for myself,
2: mm-hmm. and I'm putting
1: it on my team for next year to make sure we do those rounds because – One of my businesses has a 2,200% increase this year. And I'm like, uh, we better go in there for fastest growing companies. And sometimes we get really busy. We can't even, you know, eat our own dog food as it were. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that clients realize, yes, in the beginning of the year, when you do your business plan and your marketing plan, put those initiatives in per quarter of what you want to accomplish. So it seems like a little bit at a time and not overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, but public relations is a huge piece. I also teach people, make friends with your local media people, offer yourself as a resource. So the reason my husband gets on the local news so much is because they know when they call him, he's available to hop on the news with them. They can, they literally will pop in with a camera in 15 minutes, and he has to be ready to go on camera. Mm-hmm. But because he's done it so much with them, they automatically call him now. But in the beginning, we had to offer ourselves as a resource, and they had to learn to trust us and build a relationship with us. And now we're at the top of the list. People from Sacramento came in, even during uh, Trump's inauguration thing, they were in here doing interviews with him about pet stuff that got passed in the, in the state of California. So mm. um, I thought only one thing dominated all the headlines, but
2: yeah, come right. to think of
1: it, there were other stories too.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, luckily there were some feel-good stories about pets and we were included, but we laughed about that. And the only reason it happened is because he built that relationship over years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and really do appreciate the insight on this because we've covered a lot of ground here on Beyond Eight Figures, and, and what you're talking about here in terms of these initiatives uh, are obviously they're universal in terms of being able to help uh, business uh, of all sizes And again, whether you're just coming out of the gate or if you're an established business, uh, these initiatives uh, I know can help you grow, help you get more visibility, help you get more credibility, etc. So I appreciate you going down this path. What, what are... Uh, a couple Can of I share other- one
1: little thing with you? Yeah, I, please. I actually I advised um, the company HeroX, which is a project of Peter Diamante's and Christian Cattaccini's, the CEO, and he has a marketing team in place, and I just advised them the other day. They're working with huge clients this year. They had Lockheed Martin and Boeing and Coca-Cola and the NFL, and I'm like, you had so many great clients this year. You need to do a news release just on a roundup on how you serve those clients, and they're like, wow, we never thought about that, but when they send that news release out, Now they get universal coverage. This is a universal, you know, a global company. And they get to put all of those names on their news release as accomplishments for the year. Mm -hmm. Now, when they do that roundup, anyone who's Googling for any of those other companies can also find out what they're doing. And they might never have known about HeroX any other way. Mm -hmm. So you want to look at ways that you can be creative and even highlight your successes and get the news out. And not only get it out to the world, but then put it in a newsroom on your website. So when someone's looking up, your information they can also see the milestones you've reached along the way
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and
1: it, it's a little bit at a time that adds up to a lot over years
0: yeah no it's just super smart so what you talked about uh the various initiatives and i know we just really scratched the surface here in terms of this list but what, what else comes top of mind there and in, so far as that 13-week cycle if you will of, of initiatives to to really think about undertaking
1: well when I was first starting the with the veterinary hospital, what I wanted to do was connect with the community more and let them know we're real people. It's mm-hmm. not just go in, see the doctor and leave. So I launched a nonprofit called the Pet and Wildlife Fund. And in that we created a contest called The Pet Mayor. So it was the Pet Mayor of Montclair. And every year we would for about twelve weeks, we would set up a booth at the I actually brought the farmers market into Montclair with a group of people. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I created a booth for nonprofits to work. And so we would use that booth and we would set it up and we would connect with the community in person. So on Sundays during the farmer's market, I would have the doctors and some of the team members come out. We would talk about the pet mayor. We would talk about things we do in the community. We'd raise money for uh, pets and wildlife in need. But the thing is the community got to meet the doctors eye to eye and actually just ask them questions on the street and have a conversation. And what happened was they then became more proud of saying, that's my veterinarian, or they said, I never get to talk to my veterinarian like this. Maybe I should come see you. Mm -hmm. And that's how we started going from 3,500 clients to 5,000 to 10,000. And, you know, when we hit that 20,000 mark, we were bursting at the seams. We're like, we need a lot more team to help us. And it's not always easy to find that high quality doctor to come work with you. So it was a process over time, but we let the demand from the clients lead the process. Mm -hmm. So the more the clients showed up, the more we showed up for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and because we became real people to them and they had access to it, so many stories were told to me, even today, about those pet mayor contests, which I did for 10 years. So many people are asking me to re, you know, do them again now because they had so much fun with it. The kids were part of it. Every vote is a dollar, so the donations went in and they got a little I voted sticker. But yeah. it's all about connection. So what you know, we did
0: was we gave them access. And what I'm just going to say here is really interesting from the standpoint of creativity. I mean, what 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 you bring to the table here in terms of just as we sit here as entrepreneurs, there's so many things that we forget about in so far as just some really simple things that can be done that require some degree of creativity but can have massive benefits. And, I mean, this is one of these, it's a great initiative because it doesn't really cost you anything out of pocket, right, to do, to do this sort of thing and go into the community and create that sort of bonding, that connection.
1: Exactly. And on top of it, from that became products because other cities started seeing what we were doing and they would call me and ask me to license our process. Hmm. So now a a group in Alaska called, a group in North Carolina. I'm like, how are these guys even finding us? This is some of this is before the Internet, before we can do online voting and donations. Since then, we can do that. But in the beginning, it was just word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's amazing how, you know, by the way, Jerry Brown came and voted. He was Hmm. he was the Oakland mayor at the time. He's now, you know, the governor on his way out, but um, we also had our mayor of Oakland would come in. We had, we would lead the parade for Halloween and have the pet mayor in the front car in a convertible. Mm -hmm. I mean, people loved it. I mean, we made photo books as awards for the winners. Every one of them got titles. Like we did have a lot of creativity with it. It was a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. but it was all around connecting with the community and giving them an opportunity to be heart to heart with us outside the office. Yeah. Uh, We also, We've done wine and cheese events. We've done Thursday night open houses. And those things are nice where people can come visit. We even had one uh, that Oakland Magazine sponsored and more than 2,000 people came. But they couldn't really be like heart to heart with the doctor outside the practice there because sure. we're still in the practice. Um, so this was a way for them to meet them in public. And it is rare because mm-hmm. you can go to farmer's markets and you can go to all different festivals. And very rarely will you see a doctor a dentist or a veterinarian there.
0: Yeah, you so, know? yeah, and super interesting. I mean, just the whole idea of doing a live... Event in a in a traditional bricks and mortar business. I mean, it just you, it may cross some folks' minds, but probably not everyone's. And and even in terms of translating this to having some sort of live physical presence when you have an online business is probably even more important.
1: Not just that. Don't forget, we also got awards for that. The city of Oakland gave us an award for the best nonprofit event. We got awards from Oakland Magazine because we were nominated for things we did for Pets and Wildlife. So it opened a whole other way to have conversations. And people were like, wow, my vet actually gives back to the community. We were the only veterinary hospital in the East Bay, um, which is over a million people in the whole East Bay, that did Pets and Wildlife for free that were in need. So we created this fund so that if uh, somebody found a baby squirrel or, you know, we had a little fox in there, we had a baby deer in there all of those things would come through. It still costs time and money sure. to take care of them. And what we did was we allowed the Pet and Wildlife Fund to offset those costs. But then also wherever they went next, we can we can help with that transition. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they were re-released back and sometimes they had to go to other care facilities. But, but it gave a pathway for us to help pets and wildlife in need. And when I would go out and do events and speak and things, A lot of times people will come up to me and say, oh, I know your vet hospital, and it's because I found a baby squirrel and I brought it in, or I found a baby bird, and I brought it in, and I had something I could do with it, and I felt like I was doing something. Mm -hmm. And so so we let – but there was one other piece that came out of it that I didn't expect. Hmm. It was the favorite thing for the veterinarians because guess what? The veterinarians really are not money motivated. They are very much medicine, do-the-right-thing motivated. So all of a sudden they got some of these clients, as in patients – that didn't come with owners asking how much does that cost? And they mm-hmm. got to just be great doctors. So then it became a differentiator for us for the doctors because they loved their job more because they were doing something valuable and they could do it and just be great doctors. Some of them would come in on their day off to practice and do things to help those pets and wildlife in need just because of their big heart. Yeah.
0: And so, let me ask you this, because I think there are other folks out there then that are thinking like that's all well and good, but we don't, want, you know, we don't want to be known as like this this charity house where people just come in and they get stuff for free or they bring us the, like. My wife is in the process uh, of of opening up a, a funeral home. Right, she's a licensed funeral director and an embalmer, and she wants to open up her own funeral home here in San Diego. That would be women driven and, and and run and so on. So just a, a very unique type of facility and she's always wanted to have that sort of give back type model. So, you know, people who want to be able to be well-served even though they may not have the means to, to, to be well-served and you know, in, those, in, in that last rite of passage, so to speak. So how do you, you know, how, how can you do that give back without them being seen as this charitable type place that you know people are just going to come for the freebies you know what i'm saying absolutely well you create a
1: process for everything and even in the pet and wildlife fund what we learned is people who had regular cats and dogs that wanted to tap into what we were doing we had an application process Mm -hmm. and so they had to be really screened to make sure that they did qualify for the doctor's time sometimes we would offset it with a, a portion and not pay the whole bill sometimes we would pay fifty percent. It just depends on what the case was, um, and then with the doctors, I also had to have the same thing that you know they approved the the application and said yes, this is something I do want to do. Not everything was one hundred percent approved. I will say their big hearts want to approve everything, sure. but you just create a process needed. You know, in the in the funeral industry, one of the things is. Uh, We came up with a biodegradable urn for pets. Hmm. And the reason I came up with it is because I would see clients a year after they lost a pet and they'd say to me, it's as if it happened yesterday. I can't get past it. And I was like, well, what if I change the ending of their story? So I worked with this company in Spain. They we came up with a biodegradable urn. So when pets pass away, you put the ashes in it, plant it and it grows a tree. Mm-hmm. Now they can change the ending of the story because they're recycled. Right now they can go visit their tree. Now they, now they can have their new dog go visit the tree with them. Mm-hmm. So it was really wonderful. shark tank invited us on. We were on PBS. They had a 30 minute show about it. Mm-hmm. The company's phen- phenomenal because what they're saying is let's build forests instead of graveyards. Yeah. And, people love it and it's amazing like even now people come up to me and say oh my god i love my biodegradable urn like my my mom's growing in and my puppy's growing in it because they make it for people and for pets and um what it was was thinking about the client problem thinking about the challenge you're having and how can i create a solution for them that helps them get through that problem so i think even in your wife's case or anyone else's case even with the pet and wiley fund I'm not focusing 100% of my efforts there, but what I'm doing is creating a piece of it that addresses their problem. And sometimes that piece can grow bigger than you ever imagined. It can even grow bigger than the first part of the company, Mm. because if you're solving the problem and you're making them feel good about how you're solving the problem with them, then they're going to be not only a client of yours, they're going to send their friends to you. They're going to want the whole world to know about it. So, even the pet mayor, we only thought we were going to do that one year. Yeah. And one of the radio stations called 107 The Bone um, said, hey, we want to do a story about it. And they came out and did a live radio show. And because of that, it blossomed more. And then more people knew about it. And I didn't even go to the radio station. They came to me because they heard of it. And then it built. It kept building on each other. It was just those little micro movements that turned into bigger movements. Yeah. I call it, you know, building momentum, a moment, moment, moment. Moment stacking creates momentum. So by creating those moments, it then created momentum on its own. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to force it. And people pulled it through. Yeah. People were like, oh please, please, please do it. Can I get my dog? By the way, when I did that, I made sure every contestant was matched with the local business. So I tied the businesses into the success of the con- of the contest, too. So in order for your dog or your cat or your bunny or your horse, we even had a horse, in order for them to be in the pet mayor, they had to be matched with the business in Montclair that sponsored them. Mm-hmm. So now the whole community was involved. Even the businesses were having like open houses and fundraisers for their candidates. Yeah. And um, it became a movement, is what happened.
0: Interesting. Very, very interesting. And again, it really speaks to what you're so expert at in terms of creative marketing and generating publicity and and eyeballs and eardrums on, on what you're doing. Of course, visibility is the lifeblood of, of any business. So it's hard to believe here, but I know we're going to end up just running out of time and I don't want to do that. What, what, and we have to do that, unfortunately, but what is as you look towards the future and you have these, these various businesses that you're focusing on, uh, which which of those businesses is most exciting for you and has the potential for the largest exit if that's something that you have on the radar
1: I'm so glad you asked that question when I look at my businesses actually 50% are really in my husband's wheelhouse because they're in the veterinary and pet industry and then the other half are in my wheelhouse which is the pet are which is the PR and marketing mm-hmm. and and even my veterinary hospitals and my other businesses Pay my PR and marketing company as a vendor mm. because it's legit. Even when I sold the veterinary practice, there was a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar line item just for our logo and um, you know the, the things that we created in the package for the brand. So mm. for the branding package, was just a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar line item just to the PR marketing company for that IP, and that was built into that. So Smart. when I look at the two sides, I'm on one of them. The pet concierge, we have products we've launched. We have one that we just this month was our fourth month launching a product that's taken off. That's extremely valuable. Um, it's called Nutra and we sold 90,000 units this past month. And it was only our fourth month, our third month, we sold 30,000 units. So it's really a lot of word of mouth and people are validating how well it works and we've tested it for a year. So we know it works really well Hmm. and we're coming out with four more products next year. So I think the pet concierge is headed for the nine figure range. Actually, it's, It's just doing very, very well, and and we're adding a lot of value to the community based on Gary's expertise and him coming up with, you know, unique things that can help pets. Mm -hmm. And then on the PR marketing side, I have several pieces, but one of them is the Event Planners Association. Event planning is one of those tactics. Uh, We have uh, the Event Planners Association. We currently have 35,000 members, and um, that's taken off. I've leveled up and added a CFO and two other really high-level team members uh, we had a planning meeting last week. Uh, we spoke this morning, right before I was on the call with you. We were touching base on on our 2019 planning and um, and getting that up. So I'm adding some really key people in there that are very excited about where we're going, and and that one, sky's the limit. We're just, mm-hmm. you know, 35,000 event planners, each one's doing at least five events a year, but most of them are doing, you know, five a month, and um, it's really kind of fun. I actually was at one of the events here in Hawaii and just watching. Uh, them be successful, you know, Mm -hmm. it makes me feel like a proud mama bear in a way.
0: Yeah. Um, And just so we're clear on this, I mean, pet concierge, potential nine-figure type exit, nine-figure growth, et cetera. Specifically, what does that business do?
1: That business is an education resource and products. So we do products in the industry. We're bringing out new products. Uh, We're testing several for next year. Right now, we have another launch in January, And, um, the product that we launched in August. Yeah. We just, we just did 90,000 units last month. And then, um, we also do education. So sometimes it's education and purpose in person. I mean, um, some of them are with veterinarians, leaders in the industry, some are with clients, some are online, some are in Australia. It just depends. Uh, we're, we're putting together our, our calendar for next year right now. And, There's about 14 events already on there. Mm -hmm. And then um, also education for people in the industry, licensing and um, helping them, you know, build their careers. Because what we're doing in Holistic is so pioneering that uh, we can't even hire people to come help us because they're not trained yet. So Mm -hmm. we're realizing we actually have to train a lot of them ourselves.
0: So biggest lesson learned in terms of what you've seen now over your entrepreneurial journey, biggest lesson learned that you will apply to these new businesses that you think will really move the needle for them?
1: Connection matters more than anything. The reason I'm in high-level masterminds, the reason that I'm out in the world connecting with people is because through those connections, not only do I learn, but I also create opportunities for new projects or you know, collaboration that might never exist uh, existed otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my projects next year is with Mark Tim. Uh, we're actually helping people with their exit strategies when you first start your business you should be thinking what's your dream exit from day 1 and he has already sold more than 7 businesses he's had eight figure exits as well and we figure we'll combine combiner we're in a lot of masterminds and we're like wait these guys aren't even thinking about exiting their business or do multimillion dollar businesses but if they're not the dancing bear up on stage doing the work they're not getting paid mm-hmm. Well, how can we teach them how can we teach them the lessons we've learned about being in that you know holy grail section, which is uh, something I learned from Roland Frazier. You want to be in the holy grail where it can be working with or without you. It's self-managed and it's automated. And the more you can get to that and not be just the dancing bear, the better off you are. Mm -hmm. And when we look at a lot of internet marketers, if they're on stage and they're selling from stage, they're the dancing bear and they're doing great. But the minute they're in Hawaii, they're not earning anything. Yeah. So... Uh, so how can we help them? You know, learn from both Mark and I, and, and really set their business up for success, even if they're not included.
0: Yeah, for sure. It sounds like we've got some future guests who are going to be joining us there on uh, Beyond Eight Figures. So we'll take as many intros as you want to send over, Lee. <laughs> we, you got it. We appreciate you got it. My that. My pleasure. But let's uh, and, and just kind of closing out here. What what still kind of scares you to death? What's what's the big struggle that, uh, that that keeps you up at night? Let's let's bring it back to making you a little more uh, relatable here. I mean, you've had all these big successes and and so on, which is awesome, but let's, let's make it a little more, shall we say tangible for the average mere mortal here who may still be struggling. What, what do you still struggle with? What, what keeps you up at night?
1: You know, it's interesting because, um, the only thing I think about is I have a 14 year old daughter and I just want way more time with her. And luckily I brought her to Hawaii with me. And as soon as I get off this phone, we're right in the pool or at the beach together. She's, she's sitting here in her bathing suit. Can't wait to go. And so that it always comes back to the simple things is, you know, our family and what makes us happy has to be the priority. Everything else is to feed that. And, um, What I've learned along the way is time is our number one resource and you can't get it back. So make sure you use it wisely Mm
2: -hmm. and use it
1: towards the things that make you happier. And when you're not happy, stop doing that. (laughs) Mm. You know, that's it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really, really sage advice. If people want more information on you or on the various entities, I mean, I know you've got a lot of spinning plates there going on. Where where should folks go? What should they do? How do they connect with you? How can they learn from you?
1: Well, uh, Go Ask Lee. It's L-E-E-G-O-A-S-K-L-E-E. Goasklee.com is my main hub for me personally. And I do have some spinning pa- plates, but I will say every one of the companies has a direct leader. So they have someone else that's the leader. It's not me. I'm supporting them. I'm working for them and I'm helping them be successful. So it's not me doing everything. It's me empowering the team. And one of the things I learned a long time ago was the Saturday night live model, hmm. which is hire really, really great talent, but then know they might only be with you for two or three years because they're off to Hollywood and it's okay. It's not personal. It's you get them while you can. You do something together that's extraordinary and it might not be forever and that's okay.
0: hmm well, that's awesome! All right, folks. So go ask Lee L E E dot com. Lee Richter, really do appreciate you joining us here on Beyond Eight Figures. Enjoy Hawaii and enjoy the new year as well. Thanks, Lee. Mahalo. Mahalo. <laughs> All right. So we'll let Lee go enjoy the beach, go enjoy the sun, go enjoy the pool with uh, with her daughter and the, and the family over that way. And wow, I tell you, you know it's. Um, We've covered a lot of ground here on Beyond Eight Figures, Richie, but this is, I mean, I think a lot of the creative elements of what Lee brings to the table with her PR and her marketing background and so on and so forth, I mean, obviously it's not ground that we haven't covered in quite this way. What uh, what kind of stands out for you?
2: Uh, you know, probably her her relationship comment or mm-hmm. her connections comment, mm-hmm. you know, just um, because it seemed as if that was her s- her superpower, like she saw what was going on with her husband. She sees this thing uh, like, well, they're pets and the other pet owners, and they probably have referrals, but they can't do it. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to go spin off this other pet concierge. Yeah. And now I can build my husband's business mm-hmm. while I'm building this other business. Yeah, It's awesome.
0: Yeah, and I, and I love the idea here of creating products or something that serves you in your business but ultimately could serve others who have similar businesses as well like the biodegradable urn as an example is just such a super cool thing but I, I, we got to jump here so all right my friends wow we uh, we've got uh, just an amazing lineup of folks who will be joining us here on beyond eight figures in the future and of course check out everyone who has been on the show at beyond eight com. for richie otay i'm steve Olsher. we'll talk to you next time You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at Beyond8Figures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.